This morning we are concluding a sermon series that we began all the way back at the beginning of the year. Do you remember that in January when it was cold and winter was still here and we didn't think by February it would still be cold with winter still here? We had summer in the middle. Do you remember those few days? When we began this series, we began looking at the first steps of Jesus' ministry, looking at a new year and a new journey. And we journeyed with Jesus through His baptism, His first entry into public life. We celebrated His first birthday with the wise men bringing gifts. We celebrated a call to life and ministry in a new way at His first miracle at a wedding in Cana. Then we looked at his first sermon in his hometown synagogue and how that went well at first and then how it turned bad when the people did not respond to the idea that Jesus offered that his ministry and his life was going to be so much bigger than just Nazareth and that people would be called to God beyond the boundaries of Israel. And so we saw his first failure when people rejected him, but how he turned his face not in shame or anger, but set it firm toward the mission ahead. And we conclude this little series here at the beginning of the year by seeing this story of Jesus calling the first followers to join him on his journey. And so I want to ask you a question to consider. Every time I read the story of calling these first disciples, particularly when the story focuses on Simon Peter and the fishermen, I want to ask you this question. What would it take for you to quit your job, leave home, and follow and commit your life to someone that you had just met into an unknown future. And I don't mean that rhetorically. Spend a few moments here and think, what would it take for you to quit your job, give up all your stuff, leave home, never knowing if you'd ever return? What would it take? Would would someone have to promise you a bunch of money to do that? Not only cash now, but a good retirement plan at the end of the journey? Would someone have to promise you fame? That we're going to be famous? That we're going to be popular? What would it take for you to give it all up and follow? Now, I know people make this kind of risk, risky change every day in their life, but for me, I, I'm fairly risk-averse. I want to know the plan. I want to see it on Google Maps. Where are we going? How long is it going to take us to get there? What are we going to do when we get there? How are we going to eat? How are we going to live? Are we going to have uh, individual rooms? Because I don't like to bunk with a bunch of people, right? It's why we sometimes call these types of decisions leaps of faith, right? We don't quite know. We don't quite understand. And in the call to the first disciples, with Simon and the Zebedee boys dropping everything and following after Jesus, we often marvel at how much faith they must have had in Jesus. 
And we begin to wonder, could I ever have that kind of faith, that depth of trust? And we focus so much on their faith that we begin to feel our own faith is somewhat deficient. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I'd have that much trust, that much faith. And while that's certainly a good way to understand it, I, I think we have flipped the story just a bit too soon because think about it. Jesus, perhaps, is not nearly as unknown to them as we sometimes think because Luke has presented the story of Jesus in a very important way. Throughout the whole of chapter 4, which leads up to this moment, Jesus has been teaching and preaching and healing throughout Galilee. He's becoming famous. He's becoming well-known as a healer and a teacher. So much so that the crowd nearly pushes him into the lake. They want to see him so bad. He has to get into a boat and shove off from shore a bit so he can get away from the people and teach and preach to them. This is the first founding of the first church on the beach, right? As they've crowded up to the shoreline to hear Jesus. That's the kind of fame he has right now. By this point, Jesus is not an unknown rabbi. He's a rising star in Galilee. Everyone knows him. Everyone wants to be with him. Everyone wants to hear him. And many people want a healing from him. Jesus is so popular, they nearly drown him. And he notices Simon's boat, empty, pulled up on shore. And he jumps in and says, Simon, let's go. And it's after the sermon that Jesus turns to Simon and says, since we're out here, why don't we go fishing? And Simon says, well, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. To which Jesus says, well, maybe that's why your boat's been empty and available. But why don't we try it one more time? And so Simon reluctantly decides to follow Jesus, and they cast the net in, and you know the story. It's so full of fish, they can barely haul the thing in without their nets breaking. So full, in fact, they have to shout down a couple other boats to come help them pull the catch in. And seeing all this, Simon sinks to his knees and says, Leave me, Lord. I am too sinful for you. It's important to note here in this moment, Simon doesn't offer a profession of faith, but a confession of sin. He says, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah. Come to rescue everybody. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. Something about being in the presence of Jesus in this moment brings Simon to a deeper self-awareness. And I don't know what he's confessing. We don't get Simon's backstory. But what we can see in this moment is that he is aware of his own brokenness. He's seen all the healings. He's heard the stories of the miracles. I mean, you know, this is Israel. It's not modern-day Facebook, but word gets around. 
Jesus' story has gotten out and Simon has heard all about him. And you know, Simon, Simon thinks, Lord, you are too holy to be this close to a sinful fisherman. Or maybe he has seen all the abundance, all the abundance of healing, all the abundance of health and restoration, all of the abundance of God's good news proclaimed by Jesus, and now he's seen this abundant catch of fish, and all of this makes him realize how finite he is in comparison. So whether it's his brokenness or his own sense of limitation, he tells Jesus, before you get any ideas, Jesus, I can't be your guy. I'm a sinner. I think this story has nothing to do with Simon's faith in Jesus but instead has everything to do with Jesus' faith in Simon. Imagine what faith Jesus must have had in someone like Simon to tell him without any other words of instruction, you and your friends, the Zebedee boys, I'm hiring you to become fishers of the world. Now, nothing so far has demonstrated they'll be good at it. Jesus hasn't heard Simon or the Zebedee boys preach. He hasn't heard them teach, hasn't seen if they have the power to heal anybody, hasn't offered a, a, a class on, you know, how to win friends and influence people. He doesn't know if they'll be good evangelists, doesn't even know if they'll be good followers. All he knows about them is that they're pretty subpar fishermen. This has nothing to do with any qualifications, but Jesus calls them to follow. See, the real question of this passage is why would a powerful, popular rabbi like Jesus call a hot-headed, poor fisherman like Simon? Because that's the good news of being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus has nothing to do with your qualifications or your ability or your worthiness, but it has everything to do with Jesus having faith in you. Jesus calls Simon and the Zebedee boys, Jesus calls you and me, not because we will be good at it, but because Jesus desires to work in and through each of us. It's one of the things I love about scouting. You know what you have to do to sign up to be a Cub Scout or Boy Scout or Girl Scout? You know what you have to do? Just show up. You don't have to know how to tie the knots or make a campfire or how to hike or how to bandage a, a sprained elbow. You learn. You grow. You hike together. 
you follow after others who have been down that path before, and at the end, before you know it, you can do things you never imagined possible. Just like following Jesus. We begin to realize, I don't think I can pray for my enemies, Jesus. Okay, don't worry. Well, Lord, I don't think I can forgive my cousin for what he did. Okay, that's fine. You know, I don't really know if I even believe in the power of prayer or that it makes any kind of difference. That's okay. That's fine. Following Jesus is not about having everything together at the start of the journey. Following Jesus is simply putting one step ahead of the next. And after weeks or months or years looking back on your life and seeing, my, how far have we come? And then realizing, I wonder how much further I'll even get to go. And on days in which you feel like perhaps you don't have enough faith or enough understanding or enough knowledge about this following Jesus business, the good news is even his first choice disciples didn't have it all together either. The command is not figure it all out and then come follow me, but follow me and I'll help you figure it all out. That's what being a follower and disciple of Jesus is. Jesus takes the risk on us that we're worthy enough for him to love, that he loves us enough to forgive us and forgives us enough to free us to life eternal. The true miracle this morning in the gospel story is not the fish in the nets, the catch too large to haul in. The miracle is that 2,000 years after Simon gave it all up and left his boat by the shore, the miracle is that Jesus stands with us today, calling us to follow him. Not because we've got it all figured out, but because Jesus has faith in each of us. Amen.